one of the first things that he does here in the beginning is he warns Timothy that there will be many, or not, I shouldn't say many, but that there will be some who will depart from the faith. So the title of tonight's message is Some Will Fall Away. This is probably one of the most uh, discouraging, frustrating, disappointing things that goes on in the life of the church, uh, especially for those in ministry, pastors specifically, when we see people fall away. When we see people who start strong and sometimes enthused about the things of God, but they are not able to sustain that commitment and, and they, they, they fall away for, for a variety of reasons. Remember, Jesus talked about the parable of the sower who went out and sowed seed, and the seed fell on different types of soil. Some of it fell upon the roadside, some of it fell on the, the rocky soil, some of it fell amongst the thorns, and some of it found good soil and grew to maturity and bore much fruit. And that's, of course, what we're after, but even Jesus said, look, this is, this is the nature of the kingdom. The word goes out and the power of the word is to change lives and to heal and to bear fruit. It's, it's in, it's in the word, but the quality of the soil that it falls upon, which is the heart, the, the quality of the, the hearts that receive that word will directly affect the fruitfulness of that word in the person's life. And so it's a fact of life. It's a fact of life in the church. And so the apostle Paul gives Timothy this instruction. Some will fall away. Some, not all, uh, with the Lord, all, you know, for the entirety of their life. But some, some kind of go hot and cold and they never really kind of get grounded. And you see a lot of this in the life of the church. And then you have some that are faithful and, and really allow the Lord's work to, to mature in their life and they grow on into maturity and bear fruit. Of course, that's what we desire. But as we study this, we can also learn some of what causes people to fall away. What are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the the, the error that people get into doctrinally? Uh, sometimes it's just a lack of commitment or a lack of depth in their own life. But in this case, Paul's going to warn about those that would actually fall away doctrinally. And let's take a look now at verses 1 through 6. And that's all we'll have time for tonight. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from food which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth, for every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Concerning some that would fall away, a number of things here that the apostle points out. First of all, it is for certain that some will fall away. Look what he says. The Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, expressly says that in latter times some will depart. There's no question that some will depart because the Spirit of God even gives warning of that. Turn with me, if you would. I'll give a couple of other passages just to kind of support that idea. First John chapter 2, verse 18 
1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. Look also with me to the book of Acts, back over to the left. Book of Acts in chapter 20. Paul warned of this type of falling away in a number of places. Talked that some would pay attention to deceiving doctrines. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Paul says this to the Ephesian elders before he left them. For I know this, that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to hold you up and give you an inheritance above all those who are sanctified. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. These types of warnings are throughout the New Testament. Types of warnings are even out throughout the Old Testament where God warned his people not to give place to deceiving messages, not to give place to the idol worship of those that, that were in the surrounding areas where they were inhabiting. It just seems to be a constant struggle and battle spiritually that goes on. Paul said in another place in Ephesians that we do not war against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. There is a spiritual reality that wants to draw away true faith, true believers into error and deception. Also, Paul says that it's for certain the Spirit of God expressly, specifically says that this will happen. He says in the latter times. Now, Latter times in the, in the Bible, the latter times really refer to the, the latter days, the days of the church since Jesus has come in his earthly ministry and resurrection. These, this time between then and when he returns again is often referred to as the latter time. So the latter time doesn't mean just the, the very end of the age, but really this whole church age. This will be, uh, this will mark the church age. This will be a perpetual thing. There will be deception, there will be error, there will be people that, that fall away. People will come to the Lord but won't remain with the Lord. And this type of thing was going on in the early church. The Apostle Paul spoke of it, warned of it. And of course, we continue to see that perpetuated through the life of the church today. And it's important for us to, to be aware of that, to know that these things are out there, and to understand something of how they work in order that we might be safe from them. So the timing of it is really at all times during the latter days, and we know that it will probably grow worse as we approach even the last of the last times. The source of this uh, departure or this deception, the Apostle Paul says, are deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. 
deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. As I mentioned, we do not war against flesh and blood. Where does this error come from? Where do these little um, false doctrines, how do they get introduced? There are deceiving spirits, demons, demonic forces. There's spiritual warfare. We are at battle in the spirit realm. We don't see them with our natural eye. That's why the Apostle Paul, the Word of God, draws our attention. Look, you may think that everything that's going on is in the natural, but there are spiritual enemies, spiritual forces behind things that come against the life of Christians. And some of these things come right from the pit of hell. Satan himself, his demon, introducing these doctrines, they come through men. The enemy spiritually may whisper these things into the heart of men, but men, and unfortunately even sometimes wolves in sheep's clothing, people from within the church. And what is their message? They come with uh, speaking lies and hypocrisy. What type of individuals are they? They are people who have had their conscience seared with a hot iron. There's another passage that talks about those that do not have a love for the truth. When, when you begin to, to get off doctrinally or begin to lose sight of, of God's Word and the truth of His Word and begin to give place to either compromise in your lifestyle, compromise in your conduct, compromise in your doctrine, what happens over time is your con- the Bible says your conscience becomes insensitive. You're no longer sensitive to the Holy Spirit and His correction. You can't be corrected. We've seen this in the life of the church, people who kind of become self-proclaimed spiritual leaders, and they inevitably become really unaccountable to anybody, uncorrectable by anyone, and they, their own hearts become insensitive to the correction and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We need to be on, on guard for this, even in our own hearts. We need to be so, so sure about everything that we know and think and we need to be always teachable, allowing the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to ground us and to give us instruction on truth. These are people that have gone into hypocrisy, and they have their own conscience now that has been seared. They're no longer sensitive to correction. And here's what they're saying. We'll take a little bit of time to look at the message that they bring. They forbid to marry, and they command to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now here's what I would like you to see. They don't, deceptive doctrine doesn't come in with a neon sign saying, you know, I'm the Antichrist, follow me. It comes in subtly. It comes in cleverly. It comes somebody's behind me, it's just one of these characters. <laughs> um, subtle, yes. There's demons back there. No. <clears throat> this is the way deception works. It, it doesn't come in and challenge, you know, Jesus Christ's divinity. Not right away. But rather, a kind of a subtle idea and it kind of sounds spiritual, and it sound, and, and usually it will have some tro- truth woven into it. In the case of what Paul is talking about, he says there, there are men that, have, that are coming in, and they're speaking lies, and they're, they're, they're leading people astray from the faith 
And what is it that they're saying? They're forbidding to marry. They're saying that if you really want to be spiritual, you shouldn't be married. You should just devote yourself to the Lord and be, remain single. And that's kind of, you know, well, you know, that doesn't sound too bad. I mean, there's even a passage in Corinthians where Paul says, you know, I'm single, and that allows me a lot of freedom to serve the Lord, and I would encourage others of you that really want to serve the Lord with all your heart, stay single. Because then you don't have to, you know, you don't have the distraction of the spouse. You can really give your life to the Lord. And I think in some cases that's probably wise. If you wanted to be a missionary, for example, in a very difficult land that you, you know, it'd be probably easier for a single person to go and work and do those things rather than have to bring the, the, the spouse and the family. That's a little more of a difficult task. So there is some wisdom there that in some cases, and God would call calls individuals to some of that. There are some that God calls to be single, to serve him. In the case of the Apostle Paul, he says, God called me to be single. And I'm totally happy with that. I have no, I'm not wrestling with that. It's not a struggle or sacrifice for me, because this is what God has given to me to be in ministry. So here now there are some that are coming in and saying, you know, if you really want to be spiritual, you should not be kind of have a little bit of a truth to it, right? I mean, yeah, Paul kind of said that, but that's not the whole truth, is it? Peter was an apostle, greatly used of the Lord, wasn't he? He was married. God's the one who said in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone, right? God is the one that has ordained marriage. God is the one that has created marriage, that it would be a good thing, uh, and that it would be a blessed thing. So there's there's a little bit of truth, and it kind of sounds spiritual, but it lacks the whole counsel of God. It doesn't have the entire picture of what God would want us to know. They also abstain from foods. Well, that's kind of sounds spiritual too, doesn't it? Oh, we need, you know, there's just, just don't allow yourself a certain pleasure of these foods. You ought to just be fasting on a regular basis, and you ought to Really, you know, if you really want to give yourself to the Lord and really be spiritual, really dedicate yourself to the Lord, then you really ought to have a very restrictive diet and, and fasting often. And that kind of sounds spiritual too. Uh, there, because there are times when right, fasting is a good spiritual discipline. Bible encourages us both to pray and to fast. There's times when we just for the sake of pressing in on the, to, to the Lord and really giving a, focus to prayer, we would fast for a time. So this, these guys are bringing this in kind of almost as a legalistic, religious, this is what you have to do to be really spiritual, like us. As Paul says, they're, they're liars, they're hypocrites. They're, these are, a lot of these guys, they preach one thing, but then to themselves do something else. And this is the way deception often comes into the church. It comes in kind of with some half-truths. It comes in sounding kind of spiritual. Yeah, that sounds kind of like, like a good idea. What's really what's wrong with that? And, and you kind of get caught and get drifted away with that. We have that going on today in the church. There's a, a lot of, there's a variety of doctrines that are out there today that I believe lead us away from the central truth of what God has called us to. There's, um, you've heard of the, the word faith um, doctrine. These, uh, there's a quite an emphasis on faith and words that you speak in faith. Because, you know, after all, it said in Mark that 
you know, whatever you say, you shall have it, right? You pray, say this, and, and there's a big connection between your faith and your words. You can kind of really have the things that God has for you if you exercise and walk in these things diligently. And it kind of sounds, you know, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, faith is a good thing, isn't it? We should be careful with our words, shouldn't we? That, that makes sense to me. We don't want to speak a bunch of foolishness. We don't want to say things that are unfaithful. But it goes on and emphasizes, almost always it ends up emphasizing what? Money, right? That this is the way that, that, that you'll prosper and God wants you to be rich and God wants you to prosper and if you'll just believe and when you give, believe and when you pray, you, you thank the Lord that you already have it and this is exercising your faith and these things will come to you and you'll be healthy and you'll be wealthy. These are the, the uh, just gets out of balance. These are the, it's almost the same message. And you hear these guys, they're on television. I hear them on the radio, and I, I've been exposed to a lot of that teaching. You know, I went back. I went to school at Oral Roberts University back in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, is, is kind of the place where uh, um, Kenneth Hagin Ministries and a lot of this word faith developed there. And I believe that some of these guys are very sincere. And I'm not even trying to judge each and every one of these guys. I think a lot of them were genuine, sincere, God-loving men, but they got somewhere, this thing got out of balance. And that's what happens. And you get overemphasized on one truth, and you don't teach the rest of the counsel of God. We have that today. That's one example. There's other examples. I, I hear guys on, um, I won't mention names, but I see some of these guys on the television, and it seems like they only have one message. It's always the same thing. And it's kind of like, well, what's wrong with it? Well, I had a conversation with uh, a pastor friend of mine, and I said, you know, it's kind of hard. You hear these guys, you read their, I've read some of their literature, you know, and it's hard to really, there's nothing really wrong. And this pastor friend said, you know, I've had a number, I've had some conversation, and it's, it's not so much what they say, but what they don't say, it's just they don't give the full diet. They don't give you the full, healthy, balanced teaching of God's Word. You hear some of these guys, God wants you to be the head, not the tail. God wants you to be up and not down. God wants you to be strong and not weak. God wants you to be on top and victorious, and you're going to walk on, you know, and you get up in the morning, and you just charge out the door for God, and God's with you, and He's, you know, and it's just, yeah, that sounds good. I mean... I enjoy listening to those guys myself. It's like, wow, that you know, that's true. But then, you know, I, so I turn them on next week. Guess what? God wants you to be the head, not the tail. God <laughs> wants you to be up and not down. And they go, and it's the same kind of a, you know, and the message is all, they tell a little different story, a little different, you know, kind of uh, illustration, but it's the same message. And there is truth in the message, but how many of you know that that's, I mean, that hasn't been my Christian experience. <laughs> I haven't always been up, never down. I have found that my life has seasons, that there are times when I'm up, at times when I'm down. There's valleys, the valley of the shadow of death. You walk through some of those things, and you, don't, and you just have to hang on to God, and you have to, have, you have to have roots that go a little deeper than just that kind of pep rally, feeling good and walking out feeling good. But this is what happens to the church. They... They get acclimated to that, and then they get itching ears for that. It's almost like, 
I don't want to hear about you know, the hard stuff. Just, you know, I want to get charged up again. And I mean, they come week after week. They'll travel far. They'll go for, to hear these people speak. And, you know, because it's almost like they need that to get them going. I was thinking about it. You know, when I was in India, um, we had and we visited the orphanage. Some of you will remember this. And the orphan boys, a lot of these boys, they just rescued these boys off the street. These boys have been basically unparented for the first five or six years of their lives. And they've just learned to live on rice, rice alone. So when they came in, when they come into the orphanage, they start giving them a full balanced diet. They give them rice, they give them protein, they give them vegetables, they have all this. And as we were out, we were out eating with all of them, and we, they brought in food. We were out at this park, and we were with all the orphan kids, and one of the pastors says, you know, I want to ask you to see something. He says, just walk, walk by all the plates and tell me what you notice. And all, uh, in India, they put all their food in with rice and mix it up real good, and you know they eat with their hands and they're real proficient at it. Well, these boys had separated all the, all the food out, and they had just this nice pile of rice. Oh, and they're going to town on the rice, and so the, the pastors and the guys that were working with the, the orphans said, "Hey, hey, hey!" Oh, okay, and they had to eat the chicken too, you know. And he said, "They're they're so accustomed; they've gotten they're they, they don't know how to eat anything but the rice." Because that's all they've eaten, that's all they've had for so many years. We have to train them, we have to develop their appetite to eat the protein and the vegetables and the other things that are healthy. And you can see it, they all, and you walk, every one of them separates all that good stuff out of the way. I mean, just give me the rice. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of like that in the way that we, our diet, if you will, spiritually. There's a lot of wonderful, very positive things that we can see and learn in the Word of God. But that alone, just all of that by itself, we can't just kind of pick out the stuff that we like and want to hear. We really need to hear the full counsel of God's Word if we're going to have balanced, healthy, spiritual diet. I like Cinnabon. Anybody like Cinnabon? Everybody have those things at the mall, those Cinnabons? My daughter loves them. She got me hooked on them. I mean, they come with all this frosting and all this butter. And then if that's not enough, they give you this whole side of extra frosting. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, this, oh. But I'm telling you, you can't live on Cinnabon. I've tried. No. <laughs> you, you, you know, it's a nice treat, but it's not a steady diet. And that's part of, the, of what God is endeavoring to uh, work into Timothy. You're going to see this as we work through the rest of the of the book. Don't get all get all of it tonight. But he's really encouraging Timothy. Timothy, teach the full counsel of God. Timothy, teach the word. Don't, you know, teach the doctrine that you've learned. Don't stray. Don't leave anything out. Don't cherry pick the stuff you want. Don't teach what hearers want to hear. You've got to teach what God wants taught. Because that's the only thing that's going to produce healthy, mature long-lasting faith in the heart and life of believers. And Paul is addressing that even here. Some have introduced these doctrines. They have a little bit of truth in them, but they they sound kind of spiritual, but they are not they there's error in them. Let's take a look at what the error of this this teaching is. Look at verse 4 and 5 for 
Every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. What these men were teaching, although it sounded spiritual, it was inconsistent with the word of God, forbidding to marry. God is the one who said man should not be alone. God is the one that instituted and in his word commends marriage and talks about the, mar the marriage vows and the honor of marriage. So that for these men to be abstain, saying that to be really spiritual, you must abstain from marriage, that's contradiction to the word, clear teaching of God's word. In Genesis 1.31, God also said, after he made the creation, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning, which were the sixth day, after God created everything, he said, it is good. And so for, for men to come and say, no, don't eat this food and don't eat that food because that's not good and this is not, that's a contradiction to what the Word of God said. No, God said all of it is good. And Paul goes on to say here that all of these things have been made by God to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Every creature of God is good. There's nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. These ideas that men have often are man-made ideas. They sometimes carry an outward religious look to them. They are often work-based. You know, you have to kind of, if you'll do this, you'll really earn favor before God. Paul and, and other writers speak against this type of thing. I'll give you a couple of ideas, a couple of verses. Hebrews 13, 9. You don't need to turn. I'll read it to you. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. What's the writer of Hebrews saying? Hey, let your heart be established in grace, not in food, not in diet, not in some religious rules and laws. That's not going to feed your heart. That's not going to feed your spiritual man. It's the grace of God. You need to be you need to be in fellowship with God, allowing the Spirit of God to speak, in, speak into your heart. It's not these rules and regulations of diet. He says those the people that are occupied with those things, they haven't profited them at all. They're not getting any more spiritual because they're not eating certain foods. That's a work of grace in the heart. Turn with me to Mark chapter 7. We'll close here tonight. Jesus dealt with this in the life of the Pharisees, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. These were men who were very religious on the outside, very strict about their religious ceremony. And Jesus has quite a few words for them. And I'll start in Mark chapter 7 and verse 1. And just kind of bear with me. We'll read a little bit here. And we'll close tonight here. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eating bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? 
that they eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered, and he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as teaching us teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. And he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses a father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you may, might have received for me is korban, that is, a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Jesus, he's rebuking these Pharisees. You guys are so bound up in your little traditions and your little rules and all your your, your ways that you think are, are so spiritual, and yet you ignore the real part of what God wants from you. God doesn't care about you washing your cup. God cares about you washing your heart. God's not concerned about your, your hands being clean. He's concerned about your heart being clean. Yes, there are practical things that we do to be clean, and there are things that we should do, but God, that's not the emphasis of God's commandments. His emphasis is on the heart. You honor me with your lips. You go through the motions, but you're not, you don't love God and his word and his truth. He gives this example of how they had twisted this scripture commandment to honor their father and mother. They had figured out a way that, you know, instead of giving, instead of supporting your, your parents, you can give that money to the church. And in this case, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it. You can just call it a gift to God. That way you don't have to take care of your parents. He said, you, you dishonor God and yet you call it God because you honor your tradition. Let's read on just a little bit. When he called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him. Those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him to explain it, and he does so in verse 18. Are you uh, thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. It's what comes out of a man that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Jesus is trying to put the focus where it belongs on the heart, not what you, not what you're eating, but what you are doing as a result of what's in your heart. It's the same thing that Paul is trying to deal with in First Timothy, saying these guys are they're they're talking about foods and they're talking about abstaining from marriage. They got all these rules for you, guys. They're leading you away from the simple truth of faith in God through Christ. It's not about foods. It's not about rules. It's about a loving relationship with God. It's about what's in your heart for the Lord. And that's what Paul is endeavoring to, to bring uh, 
2 Timothy. Let's turn back there and we'll just close there. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says concerning food and really marriage, it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. These things are sanctified by the word. God is the one who has given the blessing on both his creation, that is good, and both marriage, which is good. It's sanctified by his word and by prayer. We thank the Lord. We, when we take our food, that's why we pray for our food. We thank the Lord. Lord, bless this food. Thank you for this food. In that way, the food becomes sanctified. It's cleansed by the word of God and by prayer. And so is marriage. We, we take that, we do that prayerfully. We embrace that prayerfully. So Paul is, is trying to get the focus where it belongs, just like Jesus did, on the heart of the matter, not the outward religion. And this is the deception that sometimes comes in, works, faith, faith, things that get men on, on a treadmill trying to work their way into heaven, trying to work their way into God's favor. Paul is against all of that. You can't earn that kind of favor. That can only come by grace. It has to come from the work of God through faith. That he's done for us. Amen. Let me close this in prayer. Father, it's unfortunate that some will fall away. And I do believe, Lord, that it is it is our duty, it is our spiritual responsibility to be students of your word, to protect our own hearts from being led away, being led astray by doctrines of demons and deceitful things. Lord. Some things sound good, Lord. Some things even hard to find what's even wrong with them. But God, help us. Give us discerning ears and eyes in this, this day that we live in when there's so much going on in the church, Lord. I don't say these things, Lord, to judge other ministries or to, or to cast a shadow over these, some of these other teachers, Lord, but clearly we need the full counsel of your word. Clearly, God, you've given us the whole Bible. It's not just for us to pick and choose and, and, and draw out the things that tickle our ears. We need the whole counsel of your word tonight. We need to be grounded and rooted, Lord, in these things. And I pray, Lord, that as we, as we caution our hearts that the reality that some are going to fall away, that we will, in a sense, Lord, protect ourselves, that we would not be some of those that would fall away. That's my heart tonight. That's my prayer for us, Lord, that we would not fall away, that we would be students of your word, that we would be uh, those that would go on to fruitfulness, or that would go on to maturity. I want to go all the way with you, Lord. I want to finish strong. That which you've begun in me, I want to see it brought to completion. And I know that's going to take diligence, it's going to take your word, it's going to take your spirit, it's going to take fellowship and encouragement of others. So, Lord, we give ourselves to these things. I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and in this place. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If there's anyone here tonight that needs prayer specifically, we'd be more than happy to pray with you. Just come on down and we'll uh, love to pray with you.